Okay, we're back. Let's get into it. Relationship with the notorious paedophile Jeffrey Epstein has been exposed by Barack Obama's secret relationship with the notorious paedophile Jeffrey Epstein has been exposed by a bombshell release of a trove of new documents, and mainstream media, including Fox News, have been covering for the former president for years. The new trove of documents that reveal the circle of elite VIPs who continued associating with Epstein years after he was a convicted paedophile is much wider than previously thought. The documents also prove that former President Barack Obama lied to the American people about his relationship with Epstein. A number of Obama's high-level staff continued regularly meeting with Epstein years after he was convicted of paedophilia, according to the release of documents which include, for the first time, Epstein's personal calendar. Before we dive in, make sure you subscribe to In 2014, current CIA director William Burns had three meetings with Jeffrey Epstein when he was Obama's deputy secretary of state, a full eight years after Epstein had been convicted of child sex crimes, according to a Wall Street Journal report. Burns and Epstein first met in Washington prior to Burns visiting Epstein at his Manhattan townhouse, according to a trove of leaked documents that include Epstein's schedules, which were not contained in Epstein's little black book of contacts or flight logs. In 2014, there was simply no excuse for meeting multiple times with the convicted paedophile. But it gets even worse. Obama's personal White House attorney, Catherine Ruemler, also had dozens of secret meetings with Epstein, none of which were disclosed at the time or explained by the Obama White House. Why did Obama's attorney need to meet with the notorious paedophile dozens of times? And why was all of this a high-level secret? Remember when Obama said he was going to run the most transparent White House in US history? It turns out that was just a diversion from the lying tongue of America's biggest fraud. There is a reason other VIP elites have been questioned regarding their Epstein links. Even Bill Gates has been dragged over the coals. Fair use, by the way, fair use. After this quick break, we will expose exactly why there hasn't been a peep about Obama. Money printing, more inflation, and more dollar devaluations. Gold has been a stop below this video to secure your qualify. 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 The mainstream media are under orders from the deep states not to question anything about Barack Obama's extremely shady backstory. They are also... And he got away with it too because you know why? Whenever you question it is because they said you were racist, okay? Because he was black and they knew it, okay? They knew how they had that black people were desperate to have a black person represent them, right? And... They didn't. It, it, they knew those who were not critical thinkers. They knew they would take him. It doesn't matter if you know he had a shady past. It doesn't matter that he didn't come from the African American community. It's just the fact that he was black. That is what mattered to a lot of uh, black Americans. Okay. I mean, it mattered to me, too. But when I started questioning things, you know, I knew I had to keep my mouth shut because I couldn't come up with my things about him that I, my reservations that I had about Barack Obama. OK, because you would be looked upon as a coon and a sellout. It was only after that when he made president and then black people started asking, well, why isn't he doing things for us? Even and Al Sharpton defended him. OK. All right. It's, it's like, you know, hey, 
it's coming out with uh, Martin Luther King. You know, he was really a sellout and so was Obama. But people didn't care at that time with Martin Luther King because they wanted uh, they wanted change. <clears throat> and things were bad for black people when Obama was running. They wanted change. It was only after. All right. <clears throat> that they realized that. Obama is not there was going to be change, but it was going to be for the worst with Obama. Same thing with Martin Luther King. He realized he was a puppet working for Jacob Rockefeller. I mean, I'm sorry, not Jacob Rockefeller, Jacob Rothschild. Okay. And he realized he was leading his people into a burning house. Arthur King was a Prince Hall Freemason. All right. And um, he realized too late. They took him out. Let's keep going. under orders not to ask any obvious questions about his personal life, including his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. This is called state censorship, but we shouldn't be surprised. Barmer has been protected by the alphabet agencies and deep state long before he was elected president. The fact is he was selected, not elected, and everything about him and his life is a lie. Graduates from Obama's Columbia University class admit that they have no memory of him at all. Here's the thing, you know, and this, it's it's one thing to understand that uh, on the Democratic side, presidents are selected, not elected. But I hope people understand on the Republican side, it's the same way. All right. Two sides of the same coin. They're both selected. Both parties select people for presidency. They're not they don't they're not elected. OK, the voting don't count. It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, th think about it, man. Think about it. Okay, let's say you have a Democratic tore up city, right? Crime infested. Well, why don't you send Republicans over there to change the change the the, the you know change the environment, bring down the crime? They're not going to do that. Okay. In an ideal world, okay, these two entities will be checking each other like crazy. It'd be constant combat. No, you you're gonna you know both sides will be watching each other. All right. Matter of fact, both sides would actually care if it was that way. But it's not. It's just two wings of the same bird of demonic white supremacy, satanic elite. It's just high. It's not. It's just satanic elite. Two wings of the same bird. This is strange considering that Obama was supposedly a star student and the top of his class. Then there is his marriage to Michelle or Michael as Obama continually slips up and calls her in public men and women of the finest military in the world. Most of all, Admiral Mullen, Deborah, Michael and I, Michael and I, Michael and I. Is that anything scary? You know, uh, well, when my, my, my when uh, Michelle's mad, when my, my, when uh, Michelle's mad. I'm sorry, man. No man wants, misgenders his own wife, okay? They don't, they don't, you know, you, you don't do that over and over again. You do not do that. On my mind, on my mind. 
Even Obama's own family admits that Michelle is actually a man. According to Malik Obama, Michelle is actually a man. And she has political ambitions that he is determined to blow up by revealing the truth about her. Malik's claims are supported by official government documents. Former First Lady Michelle Obama was registered to vote as a man from 1994 until 2008, according to official documents obtained from the Illinois State Board of Elections. The official documents also reveal that Obama officially changed her sex from female in 2008, the same year her husband was running for the presidency. We made a whole video about these damning records, which were obtained by a Freedom of Information Act request. I saw that video. She was on the Ellen DeGeneres show, and she, she was and when Michelle was dancing, you look closely, it's a pair of balls swinging. Bruh. Sorry. You all will get mad. Get mad if you want to. And another thing, women don't make that mistake signing, you know, you don't make that mistake, period, signing your gender when it says sex on any application. You don't do that. That's something that's in You don't. Just like you don't mispronounce your, you know, misgender your your spouse's name. Hey. Quest. At this point, we have to ask, is there anything real about America's first black president? Or are Barack and Michelle Obama the biggest con jobs in history? According to Larry Sinclair, who knew Obama back when he was an Illinois state senator, there are plenty of skeletons in Obama's closet. I mentioned I could use a line or two to wake up. Senator Obama asked me if I was referring to Coke, and I stated I was. After stating I was, Obama stated he could purchase cocaine for me and then made a telephone call. This too was significant from a cell phone to a presently unknown individual during which Senator Obama arranged the cocaine purchase. Senator Obama and I then departed the bar in my limousine and proceeded to an unknown location where Senator Obama exited the limousine with $250, which was provided to him by me. Returned a short while later with an eight ball of cocaine, which he gave to me. I did ingest a couple of lines of cocaine, and shortly thereafter, Senator Obama produced a glass cylinder pipe and packet of crack cocaine from his pocket. Obama then smoked the crack cocaine. I performed fellatio on Senator Obama in the limousine during the time Senator Obama was smoking crack cocaine, after which I had the driver take me to my hotel, the Comfort Suites, Gurney, Illinois. Larry Sinclair said that the only reason he came forward was because the rest of the people in Obama's close-knit social group from that period all died under suspicious circumstances. Obama was a member of Jeremiah Wright's Trinity Church for 20 years. Wright was briefly the subject of controversy in 2008 when ABC News revealed his anti-American sermons included instructions for black Americans to stop singing God Bless America and start singing God Damn America. ABC was told to stop investigating, but independent outlets spoke to several well-placed sources within Chicago's gay community, as well as veteran political sources in the city, who reported that Wright was running what they called a down-low club, essentially a matchmaking service for gay married black professionals members of the church. Three homosexual members of Obama's Trinity Church conveniently died within six weeks of each other when Obama was running for president. Larry Bland was murdered execution style on November 17, 2007. 
Nate Spencer reportedly died of various exotic illnesses, including HIV. And Young was murdered execution style on December the 24th, 2007. Young's mother spoke out about her suspicions that her son was murdered to protect Obama's reputation and assure his political future as the president. But she was quickly silenced by the establishment. Democrats and the mainstream media also worked overtime on damage limitation after Obama was exposed ordering items on the FBI's list of pedophile code words. WikiLeaks emails also revealed that Obama spent a fortune ordering so-called hot dogs to the White House for a private party during his presidency. I think Obama spent about $65,000 of the taxpayers' money flying in pizza dogs from Chicago for a private party at the White House not long ago, assume we are using the same channels. Stratfor employee Fred Burton wrote in an email posted to WikiLeaks's The Global Intelligence Files, which is very strange considering outside food is not allowed to be brought into the White House. When visiting chefs cook there, they can't bring in pre-prepared sauces, as all ingredients must be obtained from the kitchen staff through secret and secure sources. So why was Obama personally ordering so many hot dogs and pizzas? And why so much? According to the FBI, pizza is code word for young girls and hot dogs for young boys. If the mainstream media won't do their job and report on real news, then somebody has to do it. Here at the... Okay. Yeah, a lot of people are probably going to not like it and, you know, say it's conspiracy theory. Like I said, man, these you don't I already mentioned the things you're going to believe what you want to believe, man. But every time you get a president up there, they say they're going to do what they're going to what this what they claim to do. And they end up doing the opposite. You only find out a couple of years later after they leave office that this is what they're really about. OK, this is the same black man that got Gaddafi killed. All right. Now Libya is horrible now. Think about that. All right. Let's get into the next one right here about the Biden whistleblower. And there has been information about that was leaked out about Biden, about his sexcapades. Let's get into this one. Fair use, fair use. evidence on Biden and Clinton family corruption and child sex crimes has been declared missing by authorities. Dr. Gal Luft, the co-director of the Washington-based Institute for the Analysis of Global Security, was preparing to reveal explosive information about the Biden family. He was also an advisor to the CEFC China Energy, which paid Hunter Biden around $5 million in 2017 alone. This man is a highly credible witness, and there is a reason why the Democrats are doing everything they can to silence him. He was well aware of the high stakes involved, and earlier this year he made a statement that he is not suicidal. Before we dive in, the court defied the wishes of the suddenly gone missing under suspicious circumstances, just days after Alonica court defied the wishes of the Biden administration and released him on bail. In January, Luft said that he was arrested on bogus weapon trafficking charges, claiming that it was an attempt to silence him. I've been arrested in Cyprus on a politically motivated extradition request by the US, he claimed. The US claiming I'm an arms dealer. It would be funny if it weren't tragic. I've never been an arms dealer. The DOJ is trying to bury me to protect Joe, Jim and Hunter Biden, he continued. 
Shall I name names? For anyone who hasn't been paying attention, the elite are heavily into paedophilia and Satanism. They all have dirt on each other and will do anything to protect those within their ranks. Luft's lawyer said that he had given the FBI information during the Trump administration on the Bidens, which he planned to submit in a letter to Congress. He also learned that somebody was selling sealed US law enforcement information to Chinese individuals, and he had evidence linking Hillary Clinton to a DC child trafficking ring. Rather than providing the FBI with invaluable evidence to pursue an investigation against the Biden and Clinton crime syndicates, it appears Luft only succeeded in placing a target on his own back. Dr. Luft is a whistleblower, Luft attorney Robert Henock told the Washington Free Beacon. He asserts that prosecutors decided against pursuing Luft's information and are instead targeting him with trumped up and false charges. This information appears to be part of an attempt to discredit a witness with critical information about an ongoing congressional and DOG investigation. Investigation. The alphabet agencies have been co-opted by the deep state, which is enthralled to the globalist elite. At this point, anybody who believes the World Economic Forum is actually committed to improving the state of the world needs their head checked. For years, I was buying products from the big box retailers and food from supermarkets that I knew was full of toxins and GMOs that laboratories have proven are making us infertile and slowly killing us. I wasn't happy about it, but I felt I didn't have much choice. And I was right. There isn't much choice. The major conglomerates own every big box retailer and retail outlets in America, and they are all signed up to the globalist agenda. Every one of these major conglomerates is a World Economic Forum partner, and almost everything they sell is produced in China. So when I heard that there's an American patriot company that manufactures all of its products in America using all natural American ingredients, I thought... On Podesta. In 2016, we exclusively broke the story of how paedophile code words were used in email exchanges, leaked by WikiLeaks, between Hillary Clinton and her campaign chair, John Podesta. Now we know that Hunter Biden was also involved in the scandal. In an email dated 30th of March 2016, Hunter's business partner Eric Sherwin sent him an invite to a pizza party involving Tony Podesta, Hillary Clinton, John Podesta and James Alphantis of Comet Ping Pong. The email had the subject line, Putala for Hillary. Interestingly, Putala means an effigy of sin. The email states the following. Presidential pizza, Maddie Beckwith, Ezekiel Emanuel, Tony Podesta and Chris Putala are hosting a pizza party for Hillary Clinton next month featuring campaign chair John Podesta, senior policy advisor Maya Harris, and pizza chef James Alfantes of Comet Ping Pong. A maximum $2,700 contribution includes a special reception with John Podesta. Other pizza-related emails from John Podesta and Hillary Clinton in 2016 incongruously refer to food items, such as pasta, cheese pizza, and ice cream, which investigators say is a code language used by child sex ring participants. Credible whistleblowers who have come forward with evidence linking Clinton to serious crimes have a habit of going missing, and Luft has joined their ranks. In May 2022, the Clinton body count increased following the suspicious death of a second Clinton associate who vowed to expose details about an elite paedophile ring involving Epstein and the Clintons. Ashley Haynes, 47, was found drowned in an Arkansas river with an extension cord knotted to her ankle and attached to a concrete block. She had been seen just months before visiting Clinton advisor and longtime Epstein pal Mark Middleton, whose body was discovered last year hanging from a tree with the same style electrical cord wrapped around his neck and a close-range shotgun blast through his chest. A stunned business associate who knew Middleton and who called for an independent investigation into his death told reporters that it's not a coincidence that Haynes, 47, had visited Clinton's now-dead pal's office to discuss an urgent matter. I saw her in Mark's office, the business associate told Radio Online. 
I was leaving and he, Middleton, was telling me that he had a very important meeting and that's the woman who came in. These cases are just the tip of the iceberg. Corpses have been showing up since the Clintons entered public life in Arkansas in the 80s. To call Hillary ruthless is an understatement and it appears that age is not mellowing her. The same can be said for Joe Biden, who is still interested in lining his pockets and covering up the lurid sex crimes of his family. His own daughter Ashley exposed his incest and paedophilia in her teenage diary, which the FBI have since confirmed belongs to her. But we didn't need the diary to confirm that the big guy is dangerous around children. He was inappropriately touching children during the 2015 Senate confirmation broadcast. Of course, C-SPAN edited their footage to hide it but there is a 12 minute compilation on YouTube. There is even a girl who pulls away after he pinches her nipple, which she later confirmed when asked on Instagram. She felt like there was no reason to come forward as it would just anger her Democrat family and the people around her. Whatever happened to the Me Too movement? Biden is the least popular president in history. His campaign events are lucky to draw a dozen people. He had 100 people at his inauguration. Hey guys, we're here at the um, inauguration. It's the most bizarre scene you ever saw in your life. <clears throat> There's like a hundred people at the Biden inauguration. <clears throat> and um, it's dystopian. Democrats are currently assessing Biden's term as president and declaring it a success. This shouldn't be surprising. Biden's presidency has involved replacing what works well with what sounded good. This is the Democrat way. The other Democrat tradition involves disappearing people who pose a threat to leftist political ideology. These are dark and treacherous times for the human race. The Biden regime has the full weight of the deep state and globalist elite on its side and is doing everything to cover its tracks. They are committed to improving their own lives, depopulating the world and condemning the rest of us to live in a form of technological slavery without possessions, privacy or free will. And that is... It's basically what it is, man. That is basically what it is. Okay. All right. So let's get into this one right now. I'm going to be talking about... <laughs> um, it was caught on tape. All-out brawl between Russia and Ukraine. Let's get into that. Okay. One second right here. All right. Here we go. The field, but in diplomatic meetings too. Tonight we'll tell you what happened at a meeting in Ankara. Delegations from Russia and Ukraine were present. A Russian official tore Ukraine's flag. What followed was quite dramatic. You have to see it to believe it. Hey. 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 Hey.
Ти що з українським прапором зробиш, а? It's like a street brawl, and the pictures are telling. The room for diplomacy is shrinking. Both sides seem intent to battle this out. And it's only intensifying in the wake of the alleged assassination attempt on Putin. That's People are not putting up with Ukraine anymore, okay? Soon other nations will see, who, see them for who they are. Um, Neo-Nazis, they can't even respect their own troops. They don't even respect their, respect their own military. They're selling their own, the, the military higher-ups are selling the weapons and food to other nations and to, you know, to other people that are not in the Ukrainian military and Ukrainian soldiers are suffering for it. Can't feel bad for the way they're being treated. That's the big claim that Russia made this week. They said Ukraine tried to kill their president and that the U.S. hatched this plot. To prove this, Moscow released a video. It showed a drone on top of the Kremlin. Russia says it was an attack drone. Ukraine says it had nothing to do with it. Irrespective, Russia is pounding Ukrainian cities and it is striking hard, also threatening to go after the U.S. Moscow says it's on the brink of war with Washington. This is what Russia's deputy foreign minister said today. Let me quote from his statement. We're working to prevent relations with the U.S. from plunging into the abyss of an open armed conflict. We are already standing on the edge, on the edge of this precipice. What is America's response? The U.S. says Russia is lying, that there is no basis to the claim that the drone attack was masterminded by America. Listen to this. One thing I can tell you for certain is that the United States was not involved in this incident in any way, contrary to Mr. Peskov's lies. And that's what they are, just lies. You guys are funding these uh, Ukrainian Nazis. Billions upon billions of dollars is going over to Ukraine. Courtesy of Joe Biden. It's not lies. <clears throat> it's not lies at all. What about the assassination bid? Is that a lie too? The U.S. hasn't said that yet. It says it is still gathering information and it doesn't have conclusive proof. Russia, meanwhile, is doubling down both on the battlefield and on diplomatic platforms. Their foreign minister is in India. Sergei Lavrov is participating in the SCO foreign minister's meeting. It's being held in Goa. And that's where he brought up the drone attack. He said any self-respecting country should now refuse to speak to Zelensky. It was clearly a hostile act. It is absolutely clear that the Kyiv terrorists could not have committed it without the knowledge of their masters. We will not respond by talking about whether it was a Casas Belli or not, but we will respond with concrete actions. I would like to say it once again, we have plenty of patience. There's a saying, Russians are slow starters and so on. Speaking about Washington's attitude, I took note of the statement by Tony Blinken, who said that the U.S. would not dictate to Ukraine how it should defend its sovereignty. That probably says it all. So Russia is treating this as a hostile act. It has been pounding Ukraine with missiles. The capital city of Kiev is being attacked repeatedly. Earlier today, Russian forces fired a drone at Kiev. The Ukrainian air defenses brought it down, and the moment was captured on camera.
all this brings our victory closer. You're not winning this war, Zelensky. You're not winning. What victory? Our common victory. Dear friends, remember, we will destroy Russian evil. Yes, to protect our freedom, our common European way of life. It's not clear which victory he's talking about. As things stand today, his army does not pose as big a challenge to Russia as the Wagner Group does. Wagner is a group of mercenaries, a pro-Kremlin group that is fighting in the war. Wagner is leading the battle for Bakhmut, the bloodiest battle in the war so far. And the Wagner chief has sent an SOS message. Before I tell you about it, let me say this. The pictures are disturbing. We advise viewer discretion. A video has emerged. It features Yevgeny Prigozhin, the owner of the Wagner Group. He's surrounded by corpses believed to be of Wagner mercenaries. Prigozhin is blaming top Russian defense officials for these deaths. Let me repeat, this is a disturbing video. These are the guys from Wagner PMC who died today. The blood is still fresh. Film them all. We have a 70% shortage of ammunition. Shoigu, Gerasimov, where is the ammunition? It did not end there. Earlier today, we got another video. Prigozhin is threatening to withdraw from Bakhmut. He said Wagner troops will leave Bakhmut on the 10th of May. By May 9, 2023, we were going to capture Bakhmut settlement. However, having seen this, the paramilitary bureaucrats practically stopped the ammunition supply to prevent us from doing that. They're sitting there shaking their fat bellies and thinking that they will go down in history as winners. They already went down as cowards. I'm officially informing the Defence Minister, Chief of the General Staff, Supreme Commander-in-Chief, that my guys will not be taking unjustified losses in Bakhmut without ammunition. So on May 10, 2023, we are pulling out of Bakhmut settlement. We have left to capture two and something kilometres out of 45. I don't know what <clears throat> I don't know what you know is going on there, but Putin better fix it. Putin better fix it. All right. And that guy's has that that uh the guy there that's leading the Wagner group, he already has political ambitions. So Putin better fix that. So all I have to say, he had better fix that situation right now. Cause that guy looked like he could take over. He really does. All right. So now they're saying that the uh, pandemic is over, according to the WHO. Let's check that out. Fair use. One thousand two hundred and twenty-one days ago, WHO learned of a cluster of cases of pneumonia of unknown cause in Wuhan, China. On the 30th January 2020, on the advice of an emergency committee convened under the International Health Regulation. Phone charging slowly. This is, Hold on a minute. This is the fastest phone 
I declared a public health emergency of international concern over the global outbreak of COVID-19, the highest level of alarm under international law. For more than a year, the pandemic has been on a downward trend with population immunity increasing from vaccination and infection, mortality decreasing, and the pressure on health systems easing. This trend has allowed most countries to return to life as we knew it before COVID-19. For the past year, the Emergency Committee and WHO have been analyzing the data carefully and considering when the time would be right to lower the level of alarm. Yesterday, the Emergency Committee met for the 15th time and recommended to me that I declare an end to the public health emergency of international concern. I have accepted that advice. It's therefore with great hope that I declare COVID-19 over as a global health emergency. However, that does not mean COVID-19 is over as a global health threat. Last week, COVID-19 claimed life every three minutes. And that's just the deaths we know about. As we speak, thousands of people around the world are fighting for their lives in intensive care units. And millions more continue to live with the debilitating effects of post-COVID-19 condition. This virus is here to stay. It's still killing and it's still changing. The risk remains of a new, of new variants emerging that cause new surges in cases and deaths. The worst thing any country could do now is to use this news as a reason to let down its guard, to dismantle the systems it has built or to send the message to its people that COVID-19 is nothing to worry about. What this news means is that it's time for countries to transition from emergency mode to managing COVID-19 alongside other infectious diseases. I emphasize that this is not a snap decision. It's a decision that has been considered carefully for some time, planned for, and made on the basis of a careful analysis of the data. If need be, I will not hesitate to convene another emergency committee should COVID-19 once again put our world in peril. While this emergency committee will now cease its work, it has sent a clear message that countries must not cease theirs. On the committee's advice, I have decided to use a provision in the international health regulations that has never been used before to establish a review committee to develop long-term standing recommendations for countries on how to manage COVID-19 on an ongoing basis. All right. Let's get into the article talking about this. Okay. There we are. 
Okay, COVID-19 pandemics is no longer a global emergency, according to the WHO. COVID-19 is no longer a global emergency. World Health Organization confirmed on Friday the deadly virus was declared a global emergency over three years. However, for the last year, the pandemic has been on a downward trend. On Friday, the WHO Director General Tedro Adman Ghebreyes said that life has been allowed to return to normal. COVID-19 has been so much more than a health crisis, disrupting economies, travel, shattering businesses, and plunging millions into poverty, Gabriel said in a press conference on Friday. Therefore, with great hope, I declare COVID-19 over as a global health emergency, he added. Gabriel went on to say the public shouldn't forget the extensive damage from COVID. The painful lessons we have learned cannot go to waste. He continued, we owe it to those who have lost to, to liberate those investments, to build on those capacities, to learn from those lessons and to make sure that suffering leads to lasting change. Who first declared COVID-19 a global emergency on January 30th, 2020? At the time, there was less than 10,000 cases. Most of them were in China. Gabrius had also noted that 7 million deaths were officially reported, but estimated the total was likely closer to 20 million. COVID has changed our world. It has changed us, he said, warning that the risk of new variants still remains. He said there's also a risk of another global emergency being declared again if there's a significant rise in the COVID-19 cases or deaths. COVID-19 has left and continues to leave deep, deep scars on our world, he acknowledged. Those scars must serve as a permanent reminder of the potential for new viruses to emerge with devastating consequences. There's been an estimated 764 million cases of COVID-19 globally, and about 5 million people have received at least one dose of the vaccine. The public health emergency declaration made regarding COVID-19 is set to expire on May 11th in the U.S. At its expiration, the wide-ranging measures to support the pandemic response, including vaccine mandates, will end. Many other countries, including Germany, France, and Britain, dropped many of their COVID mandates last year. So what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on this, uh, what uh, Mr. Tedros had to say? Leave a comment in the comment section about this. All right. Okay, moving on to the next one. Okay. I'm going to talk about this right now. Bodyguards are killing their uh, Ugandan state minister. Let's keep into this. Hold on one second. Got it ready. Second. All right, got it. 
would like to confirm an unfortunate incident where the Minister of State for Labor Employment and Industrial Relations, uh, Honorable Retired Colonel Charles Okello Engola, was shot dead around 8 a.m. while entering his vehicle uh, to, go for, to go for work. And uh, uh, the shooting was done by one of uh, uh, his bodyguards at his residence in Challenger, uh, who allegedly fired several shots at close range, and uh, he fled from the scene up to the trading center at Challenger uh, Ring Road, uh, where he entered the saloon and also shot himself dead. Africa has our ministers have a problem with uh, treating their employees well. Okay. A lot of corruption goes on with these African nations. If it's not being puppets for European Western powers, it is screwing over those who work for them, especially those who are there to protect them from harm. Ugandan minister shot and killed by bodyguard. Bodyguard shot and killed a prime minister, <clears throat> sorry, a government minister in Uganda early Tuesday in an apparent pri private dispute, according to the army and local media. The attacker, who has not been publicly identified, then turned the gun on himself, according to state broadcaster UBC and others. The victim, Charles Angola, served in the government of President Yari Osini as the junior minister in charge of labor. He was a retired army colonial. Army spokesman Brig Felix Kaljuzi said in a short statement that an unfortunate incident led to the killing of Angola. We shall inform the public the details as we jointly investigate the matter, Kaljuzi said on Twitter. The shooting took place inside Angola's home in the suburb of the Ugandan capital, Kampala. Police detectives are now at the scene. The motive was not immediately clear, but the local press said there had been an apparent dispute over the guards' wages. Witnesses claimed that the soldier was yelling that he had not been paid for a long time despite working for the prime minister. The online newspaper now polls reported. The incident is likely to create shockwaves in a country where other high-profile officials have been killed in gun attacks over the years. In 2021, a former army chief in Uganda was wounded and his daughter killed when gunmen shot at their vehicle in Kampala. The fact that, uh, you know, you're trying to have, you know, a country that is LGBT free, you better start paying the people who protect you, okay? Otherwise, you're going to end up like this. So I found this story very interesting to talk about because Western powers are right at their door. Okay. And they want a piece of the action. They're licking their chops to find any way that they can uh, get at these African nations. All right. Okay, let's look at this story right here. 
tell you, these Western powers look like fools. Absolute fools. Sign with Ukraine. <laughs> London reacts to weapons for Kiev being resold. <laughs> There have been isolated reports that weapons sent to Ukraine have been diverted away from the front line, Armed Forces Minister James Hapney said. UK Armed Forces Minister James Hapney admitted on Thursday that some arms shipments supplied to Kyiv by its Western backers could have changed hands before they reached the front line. He did not clarify the amount, the exact amount or types of arms that have been allegedly been rooted. Last week, Scottish MP Kenny McAskill asked the minister to estimate the portion of British military aid sent to Ukraine that had been resold before reaching the nation's troops. On Thursday, Hapney replied that the UK had robust procedures in place to ensure that all assistance going through the international donor coordination century is handed over to the Ukrainian army. However, he concealed that there has been isolated reports, although extremely rare, saying that the equipment given to Ukraine had been diverted away from the front line. He stopped short of providing any further detail. Russia has repeatedly warned the Western weapons sent to Kyiv are ending up in the hands of organized crime and terrorists. <laughs> Yo, you know that meme? <laughs> that meme that's on I, I don't know what you have it's like it goes like this no 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 <laughs> look at this dude look at this dude <laughs> and Russia was warning you <laughs> This can't be life. Oh, this can't be life. <laughs> Russia has repeatedly warned that Western weapons sent to Kyiv are ending up in the hands of organized crime groups and terrorists, destabilizing the country's the country, <clears throat> destabilizing the, the security situation in the Middle East, Africa, and Europe. Those concerns were echoed by Seymour Hirsch, a veteran U.S. journalist and author of the bombshell report alleging the Nord Stream gas pipeline blast was orchestrated by Washington. In late April, he claimed that the West was well aware that its arms were being sold by Ukrainian commanders to smuggle in the states such as Poland and Romania. I can't <laughs> According to official figures, as late as March, the UK has committed, all right, of $2.3 billion. Woo. I'm sorry. I got to rub my eyes. I laugh so hard. A billion in military assistance to Ukraine since the start of the conflict in February 2022. Second only to U.S. Britain also hosts a training program for Ukrainian troops and is seeking to prepare as many as 30,000 soldiers by the end of 2023. Moscow has on numerous occasions warned the West that supporting Ukraine with arms and training its troops makes it a direct participant in the conflict. Yeah, it does. Of course it does. Okay, let's read these tweets, these uh, comments, I'm sorry. Rammer says, all of Europe emptied their shells, yet Zelly says they have none. I guess that's expected when dealing with the most corrupt country in Europe. <laughs> Gupta Panka 
Bakaj says this, there have been isolated reports that weapons sent to Ukraine have been diverted away from the front line. Those stolen weapons have made their way back to UK and the European Union by Ukrainian refugees, where they will be used to launch future terrorist attacks if those refugees think they have been misled or shortchanged. UK cannot feed its people, cannot keep its people warm, cannot pay their doctors and nurses adequately. So I can almost certain that it's a military is poorly paid. No wonder the most of its weapons are diverted in route and sold to the highest bidder in the dark market. Ukraine war has been very lucrative to Pentagon and UK military brass. Is another one from Tomo921343, RT News is probably, nah, please. <sighs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, gosh, this article was funny, man. I never laughed so hard in my life. It's a clown show, man, and the Western powers look like clowns. They really do. There's nothing, I mean, Russia warned you, okay? And they said there were reports, like, "Hey guys, all this weapon you sent, all these weapons you sent to Ukraine, they're not reaching the front line. They're going somewhere else, and it's Ukrainians selling them. They look like buffoons, man. Just, they look like utter buffoons. I'm still, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> look at this dude." <laughs> Oh man, this can't be life. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the banks. Let's talk about the banks. Found out 200 banks closed by 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 uh, the year of 2020. Yeah, man. All right, let's get this. Okay, here we go. Almost half of the Americans think money unsafe in banks. Conducted a month after two major bank failures, the survey results recall the math of the Lehman, Lehman Brothers collapse. Nearly half of 40% of Americans are concerned about the safety of their bank deposits. According to Gallup poll conducted a month after Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank collapsed and published on Thursday earlier this week, the first bank scheme became the first Republic Bank became the third major U.S. institution, financial institution, to close its doors in three months, reigniting fears about the industry's stability. Almost a fifth, 19 percent of the 1,013 Americans polled said they were very worried about the fate of their finances, while Another 29% were moderately worried. The largest percentage were not large percentage was not too worried. 30% and 20% were completely worry-free. The figures were similar to those reported by Gallup in 2008 following the collapse of the Lehman Brothers. The investment bank considered too big to fail, whose demise triggered the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. Republicans were more likely to voice concern about the safety of their money with 55% reporting they were worried compared to 51% of the independents and just 36% of the Democrats. These responses appeared to reflect individuals' feelings about 
the party in which the White House asked the same question in 2008 after Lehman Brothers collapsed under the administration of Republican George W. Bush. Republicans were less likely, 34 percent, to worry than the Democrats, 55 percent, or independents, 44 percent. Those numbers flipped just three months later after Democrat Barack Obama was elected. Americans making less than $100,000 per year were slightly more likely to worry about whether their money was safe in the bank than those making more 50% versus 40%. Even though wealthier individual deposits would make more likely to exceed 250,000 covered by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. All right. Citing these figures and the fact that college-educated response respondents were li less likely to be worried than those with a without a degree, Gap hypothesized that worrying about whether one's bank deposits were safe was due to ignorance to the FDIC safety net. Though the pollster acknowledged distrust in government might also be a factor. Nearly 200 American banks face similar risk to Silicon Valley Bank and Signature, according to a recent paper from the Social Science Research Network, former Lehman Brothers v Vice President Lawrence McDonald was more conser conservative with his estimate of 50 banks poised of collapse, but warned that the deposit guarantees would have to be increased to stabilize the sector. U.S. President Joe Biden has invested. There is nothing wrong with the banks, with the country's banking sector but promised to extend FDIC protection beyond the 250,000 cap if necessary. Yeah, man, we're, we're definitely in trouble. We are definitely in some serious, serious doo-doo. That's what's going on here. Pretty much. All right. Pretty much what's going on. That's the uh, the gist of it. Okay. All right. Okay. There's something else that uh, may be very interesting to people is the fact that uh, Vice is being bought by George Soros. Okay, let's get into that right now. Okay. Soros-owned firm poised to buy Vice Media. Wall Street Journal. The reported $400 million deal will buy out all, all but one of the outlet's major stockholders. Soros Fund Management, the principal asset manager of billionaire currency speculator George Soros, Open Society Foundations, is poised to rescue floundering news outlet Vice Media from bankruptcy, the Wall Street Journal reported on Friday, citing people familiar with the deal. Alongside hedge fund Fortress Investment Group, Soros Company is reportedly in talks to purchase Vice for $400 million in a deal that would wipe out the stakes of other investors, including private equity firm TPG Group and News Corp Sion, James Murdoch. Insider sources told the Wall Street Journal that Fortress would keep Vice President, Vice Pre, um, 
keep Vice's current management in place while finding a role for co-founder Shane Smith, who is currently executive chairman of Vice Media, the punk magazine turned woke establishment darling in planning a bankruptcy sale as early as next week. The sources claim that other buyout offers deemed distinct, distinctly unlikely. It's a sharp change from just two months ago when Vice was fielding multiple $400 million bids from the prospective buyers, including media collectives groups, um, group Black Go Digital. However, Vice's lenders disapproved of the terms, which would have left them still holding some debt. Source and Fortress were part of a consortium that invested $250 million in Vice in 2019, a capital infusion aimed at turning around the company's fortunes as it began to falter after being valued at a whopping $5.7 billion in 2017. Subsequent strategy shifts apparently didn't solve its problems, however, and the New York Times reports that Vice is now worth a tiny fraction of that. The news of Vice looming takeover comes just days after the outlet announced it will be closing its Vice World News arm, which sent reporters to parts of the world not usually covered by the Western media establishment. The company's CEO and president of news entertainment both left earlier this year. Vice is far from alone in its financial difficulties. BuzzFeed announced the closure of its news division last month, while Vox Media laid off 7% of its staff in January. Even the tech giants that once gobbled up digital media's advertising dollars are downsizing with Alphabet, Microsoft, Meta, and Amazon jettisoning tens of thousands of employees in the last six, month, six months. While Soros's infamous in conservative circles for exercising his political influence by pouring millions of dollars into NGOs and activist groups, his foundations rarely take an active role in news organizations themselves instead of appointing influential journalists or editors to serve on boards or advisory committees and fund fact checking, funding fact-checking organizations and journalistic integrity nonprofits. Well, going to be seeing some interesting uh, news coming out of Vice after Soros buys it. Very interesting news. Okay, let's get into um, McDonald's and their slave labor. Let's get into that right now. All right. account for the number one violations of U.S. child labor laws. An investigation involving a popular fast food restaurant, McDonald's. The U.S. Department of Labor citing three McDonald's franchises for various child labor violations, including finding two 10-year-olds working at a McDonald's in Louisville, Kentucky, operating the deep fat fryer, taking orders, working the drive-through window, and not getting paid for any of it. 
In other cases, teenagers were working outside of the allowable work hours for people as young as 14 and 15 years old. McDonald's has responded saying that these allegations are unacceptable and that they are working with their franchises to make sure that they are following all labor laws as they are applied in the United States. But as a Scripps News investigation has found earlier this year, child labor violations are increasing all over the country and they oftentimes involve restaurants. The child labor that we have uncovered has involved meatpacking plants and other industries, but restaurants account for the number one violations of U.S. child labor laws. Now the Department of Labor under a lot of pressure to act. Patrick Terpstra, Scripps News. I can only see the reason why they would want to hire child labor when you have all these people that are home that are unemployed that need jobs is because they don't have to really pay them they have to pay them anything all right that's the reason why they have them like this that's the only reason here's another damning news report about mcdonald's all right here we go okay Over 300 miners found working at three McDonald's franchises, Department of Labor. 300 miners. The U.S. Department of Labor, DOL, defined three McDonald's franchises after an investigation determined that hundreds of children, including two 10-year-olds, were working, working there in violation of federal labor law. The investigation was part of the wage and hour division's efforts to end child labor abuses in the Southeast, the Labor Department said in news release on Tuesday. As part of their investigation, officials found that Louisville, Kentucky-based McDonald's franchise operator, Brew Food LLC, hired two 10-year-olds to work at one of its locations under, unpaid and as late as 2 a.m., with one of the children even permitted to operate a deep fryer, a task for which workers must be at least 16 years old. Below the minimum, wa below the minimum age for employment, they have prepared and distributed food orders. Cleaned the store, worked at the drive-through window, and operated a register, the Labor Department said Tuesday. Under Kentucky's child labor laws, minors younger, younger than 14 years old are not allowed to work. Too often, the employers fail to follow the child labor laws that protect young workers. Louisville, Kentucky Wage and Hour Division District Director Karen Garnett Civils said in a statement, under no circumstances should there ever be a 10-year-old working in a fast food kitchen around hot grills, ovens, and deep fryers. The three franchises, Bureau Ford LLC, Archways Richmond, Richwood LLC, and Bell Restaurant Group, ILLC, run a combined 62 McDonald's locations in Kentucky, Indiana, and Maryland, and Ohio. According to Bureau Food, the 10-year-olds were not employed at the company, but were night manager's kids who are visiting them at work. Bureau of Food said the management did not approve of the kids being in the, that part of the restaurant, adding that the company has made it clear to its employees that this, beha this behavior is against policy and address the policy regarding children visiting their parents at work. Archways Richmond did not immediately respond to ABC's request for comment. Bell Restaurant Group could not be reached for comment. The investigation, the investigation concluded that among the three franchises, 305 minors were employed. The Department of Labor 
fined the business 212,544 million in civil money penalties. According to federal child labor rules, there are certain types of jobs that minors can work. Kids who are 14 to 15 years old are limited to working no more than three hours on a school day, eight hours on non-school days. They also can't work over 18 hours during a school week and can't work before 7 a.m. and after 7 a.m., 7 p.m., except between June 1st and Labor Day, the Labor Department said. Archways Richwood LLC, Barrow Food LLC, and Bell Restaurant Group um, <clears throat> LLC were in violation of having minors working hours beyond the legal limits, according to the Department of Labor. All right, according to Garnett, Civils, there have been an uptick in federal child labor violations, including instances where minors are operating equipment or dangerous doing dangerous work. Tiffany Boyd, senior vice president and chief people officer at McDonald's USA, called the incidents unacceptable and deeply troubling and go against the company's high expectations it has for its brand. It is not lost on us the significant responsibility we carry to ensure a positive and safe experience for everyone under the arches. Boy told ABC News, I know how important it is that every restaurant fosters a culture of safety. As a mother whose teenage son proudly worked at a local McDonald's, I feel this is this on a very personal level. We are committed to ensuring our franchise has the resources they need to foster safe workplaces for all employees and maintain compliance with all labor laws. The wage in our divisions discovered that in the fiscal year 2022, Nearly 700 children were illegally employed in hazardous jobs, which was the highest yearly count since 2011. The Department of Labor said in a news release, according to the Labor Department, a 15-year-old was hurt while using a deep fire at a Morristown, Tennessee McDonald's last year. The franchise, Ferris Enterprise of TN LLC, was fined $3,000, the Department of Labor in March said. Ferris Enterprise did not immediately respond to a request for comment. In the February of Department of Labor investigation found Packer Sanitation Services Incorporated, one of its nation's largest food safety sanitation services providers, illegally employed more than 100 children in dangerous work conditions across 13 sites in eight states. Wow. The company's vice president of marketing, Gina Swanson, said in a statement at the time, the company has zero tolerance policy against employing anyone under the age of 18, according to the Associated Press. As soon as the PSSI became aware of the allegations, she said it's conducted audits and hired an outside law firm to help strengthen the policies. PSSI has also conducted additional training for hiring managers, including a spotted identity theft, she said. Following the investigation, the Biden administration insisted last month that U.S. meat companies and suppliers ensure that minors aren't illegally hired to work dangerous jobs at their plants, according to the Associated Press. One child injured at work is too many. Child labor laws exist to ensure that when young people work, the job does not jeopardize their health, well-being, or education, Garnett Civil said. I don't know how this is going to keep, <clears throat> how this is uh, going to stop. All right. I really don't know because um, all these illegal migrants coming over, people are going to look the other way. And people don't want to pay Americans to do the job. So they're going to find ways to get around it. 
that's a, sorry. <clears throat> that's how I uh, I see this going down. I don't see this. Uh, I don't see this going away. I really don't. All right. So I talked about Jordan Neely, right? But let's talk about how these about these uh, protests and what I think about it. Let's get into that. Protests overnight demanding the arrest of the Marine veteran who put a homeless man in a deadly chokehold. Witnesses say the victim was acting erratically and threatening other passengers. Whit Johnson has the latest. Overnight, protesters demanding the arrest of a Marine veteran seen in this disturbing video putting a homeless man in a deadly chokehold. How many more? The NYPD now reviewing that video and calling for witnesses to come forward. Authorities say 30-year-old Jordan Neely was acting erratically, and some witnesses reported he threatened passengers on the Manhattan F train when the 24-year-old veteran stepped in. Other passengers seen holding Neely's arms. He was later pronounced dead at the hospital. New York Governor Kathy Hochul calling the case horrific. This was an individual who took the situation into his own hands. Just looking at that video, you know it's wrong. No one has the right to take the life of another person. But Mayor Eric Adams... I got a question for her, right? Suppose you're on that train, okay? And, you know, some homeless man is acting erratic, asking people for food, and he's getting violent, and he's coming towards you. You wouldn't want a man like Daniel Penny to come in there and stop that homeless man? And you're a woman, by the way. You wouldn't want a man like Daniel Penny to come in there and take down that homeless man? I bet you her answer. I bet you she would change her tune. I bet you. With oh boy, here we go. Trust the process. Uh, but we need to be extremely clear that from day one of this administration, I focused on we cannot have people with severe emotional uh, illnesses on our subway system. Neely seen here on a subway train just days earlier. Known for his performances as a Michael Jackson impersonator, Neely had been arrested more than 40 times, including for assault. Overnight, Neely's family retaining an attorney, saying in a statement, Mr. Neely suffered from mental illness, which began at age 14 when he experienced the brutal murder of his mother. Okay, so who was taking care of him at the time after his mother passed? Who was taking care of him? Why didn't people put him in a proper institution when you saw it was getting too much? All right. And people like to put, you know, oh, he was such a there good is guy. No Hold on a minute. They want to put him. He was such a good guy. And you put in clips of him when he was younger. That's a young Jordan Neely. That ain't the old Jordan Neely right now. The one you saw asking for money. All right. There we go. Right there. See. That's not that's not that little small pit bit right there. You can see. That's not him dance doing the, the moonwalk anymore. That's a homeless deranged Jordan Neely. Okay. All right. Now, I, I'm, people are going to call me a coon for this. I don't care because there has to be, 
you have to look at the facts before you go and blurt out racism, before you want to go and march for somebody just because he's black. Okay? Just when it came for that guy that was uh, down south, I believe in Georgia, all right, and he was driving drunk, and he, he resisted arrest. He was driving drunk. He was in the wrong. He blocked traffic, parked his car, blocking traffic at a restaurant in a parking lot. All right. He was causing traffic in the parking lot to be blocked. And instead of complying with the officers, Richard Brooks, instead of complying with the officers, he decides to fight them, take a cop's taser and try to aim it at a cop at while he was running away and the cops had to shoot him. It was self-defense. Who knows what he could have done with that gun if he had um, been able to tase that cop and take that, that cop's gun. He probably would have killed that cop and gone done something else crazy. Okay, but I will be looked upon as a coon because I'm looking at the facts and I'm a black person. I'm supposed to have this hive mind mindset. No. What are the facts? What are the what's the evidence? What are the what's the facts? Facts and evidence before I do anything, before I participate in anything other than that. Reasonable belief that he had a weapon, that he had the ability to use anything to harm anyone, and he was significantly outnumbered. So there was there's really no basis at all. What do you this? Here's the thing with lawyers: they have to sell. Okay, they have to sell the fact that their client is innocent, their client is uh is the victim. That's what they have to do. Even if the that lawyer knows that that family dropped the ball. You had time since Jordan Neely was 14 years old to get him the proper care that he needs, but you guys were too lazy to get it done. I've seen black families like this, okay? They don't really care about that kid. He's just a burden. He's just an expense. They don't really care about doing the work to look after him. They didn't care. It's only after when now he's gone, you want to play the sympathy card. He was a good kid. He was this. He was that. And then put up pics of when he was younger. Uh, for what transpired. The incident dividing New Yorkers and highlighting deep concerns about subway safety. I feel like resources are the solution to it. Community connection. Not safe at all. I mean, unfortunately, like, we're not allowed to carry things, but I wish we were able to, like, do pepper spray or something. Now, despite some high-profile incidents, overall major crime on the transit system here in New York City is actually down slightly from last year. Both the mayor and governor have deployed mental health resources to the subways, but many insist more needs to be done. George, What needs to be done is you have to sue medical facilities who turn down people who come in for help. They should sue Bellevue Hospital because Jordan Neely did come in to try to get help from Bellevue, and they refused to give him help. So they need to be held accountable. Lawsuits, the family needs to direct their anger at Bellevue Hospital. You didn't, they didn't take him in when he wanted to be taken in. Okay. All right. This wasn't murder. This was self-defense. Okay. 
Daniel Penny did what he had to do. He stopped the threat. Unfortunately, Jordan Neely died. The family, you knew he was having problems since he was 14 years of age. You should have done something about it. And it was in his infant stages. Yeah, I'm going to be called a coon, but spitting facts. Can't detect a lie, can you? All right. Thinking whether to keep this live stream up. I really am. But okay. That's it for now. Later.